you know, this research may actually, for the first time in a really long time, actually make a difference in our lives as type 1 and type 2 diabetics. It is really hard to live with, but I know that staying positive makes a huge difference. And I am really excited about my guest tonight. You guys are not going to believe the amazing thing that she is training dogs to do for diabetics. This could change everything for a lot of us. Welcome to the Thriving Diabetics Podcast with your host, Dr. Matthew Herdert. Hello again, everybody. It is Matthew here, 41-year diabetic, 21-year coach, 11-year doctor, and your host today for our holiday survival guide. I'm calling it the Thanksgiving survival guide so people are encouraged to download it in time for their Thanksgiving holiday celebrations. But this is really, this is something I've done every year for probably four years now. We did it on the podcast last year. I also did it on the YouTube channel last year. And before that, there was no podcast. So it was always on the YouTube channel. But we're entering that time of year when there is a, just a, seems like an endless journey through party after party after party. Um, starting in America with our Thanksgiving holiday, which of course most of the world doesn't celebrate, and then leading into friends' holiday parties and business holiday parties, Christmas parties usually here, and then into the Christmas holiday, the New Year's holiday, and then that inevitable sad um, period of New Year's resolutions that people seem to abuse themselves with for a month or two before falling flat on their faces and losing all hope for themselves. So my encouragement is always just to avoid all of that, of just avoid the whole cycle to begin with, which of course is easier said than done. But over the years, uh, I have found lots of tools and tips and techniques to really help myself and the clients that I work with and, and friends, even friends who are who are not living with diabetes, really manage this time period in a way that's more healthful. And this is a time of year that can be really difficult for people emotionally, mentally. If you've ever lost a loved one around this time of year or had a major relationship end around this time of year, if you were poor as a kid and there were not a lot of presents, that's it's often a hard time of year for people. People feel lonely. The suicide rate, at least in the United States, skyrockets this time of year. People feel emotional pressure about finances and expectations about giving gifts to people. It can just be a really tough time of year mentally and emotionally. So if we can spend more time not causing damage with unhealthful eating around this time of year and drinking and find ways to instead put that energy into taking care of ourselves mentally and emotionally not only do we not cause all the damage that we then have to undo, but we can really, again, put energy and time into supporting ourselves. So each year I seem to find a few new tricks or tools that people find helpful and useful for this time of year. This is a great podcast episode to listen to a couple times through the holidays, to share with any friends you may have. Of course, friends who are living with diabetes, but also friends who struggle with eating or their weight or with any sort of um, compulsive or addictive behavior patterns, or friends who are just really health-focused and you know really want to take care of themselves through this time of year. So hopefully this is helpful for you. I don't have anything to download like with a checklist or something to carry in your wallet, but we're going to go through about a dozen tricks, tips 
tools, however you want to think about them here, and jot at least a couple down, and ones that maybe are not as straightforward. You know, some of these you can probably come up with on your own or will be easy to remember. They'll be triggered um, as you, like, approach the dinner table and you remember something I talked about here. Some others may be a little less obvious, so just jot a few down and try to work with them because every little bit helps this time of year. Now, there are a couple different categories here. I'm not going to talk about them in terms of categories. You'll need to remember them that way, but there's certainly a culture of eating in thanks, you know, Thanksgiving in the United States is really a family holiday, but a lot of families have some pretty messed up food culture. Um, so, you know, even if you have a family with a healthy food culture, Thanksgiving is a holiday that is a family holiday, but it's really focused on the food and on the eating. And I am every year blown away by how many um, well-assembled intellectual um, rational people I know who tell me afterwards that they ate themselves sick and ruined their day because they just ate too much food and then couldn't move and they hurt and they had to unbutton, unbutton their pants and lay on the table. I mean, lay on the couch and let's start to let the food die. I mean, it's just a really common thing. So a few of these tools have to do with that kind of, um, culture, family culture or cultural culture, uh, holiday culture of eating a few, have to do with unconscious eating. A few have to do with um, uh, more behavioral elements to help keep yourself from overeating. So I'm just going to jump right into them here. The first one is to set an intention, set a clear and powerful intention, at very least when you're walking into a Thanksgiving dinner. You know, some people do three or four Thanksgiving dinners in a day or over the course of Thanksgiving weekend because they have a lot of different family units to go visit, you know, uh, parents and then grandparents and the brother-in-law and all that sort of thing. Uh, And also, I think it's good to set an intention for the whole holiday season. There are a lot of different ways to do this. Um, A couple of the ones that I do, I always start doing uh, P90X, who I'm not sponsored by. I don't get any money from them. I just, I'm mentioning it because I do it. It works well for me. I start doing P90X mid-September, end of September. And so that is something that is concrete. It's daily. It's intense. It really works to curb my appetite and to keep my weight down. And I'm starting it before I even go into the holidays and then doing that until middle or end of January. So it supports me through this whole time period. And when you're doing something like that every day, it also keeps your attention on the way that you're taking care of your health in a different way. Exercise is a keystone habit and tends to really shift many other habits in your life. The way I'm really thinking about this intention or talking to you about it, though, is a little bit different. It's more of a mental intention where you're really focused on your goals. So I've been thinking a lot in recent weeks about just reminding myself how important it is to not have to undo a lot of damage come January, to not feel you know, bloated and fat and uncomfortable in my body, you know, that I want to feel lean and flexible and, and, and stay feeling healthy in my body. I don't want to be constantly doing blood sugar dances of going up and then insulin and then crashing and then going up and then doing insulin. I'm not interested in doing any of that. I want to feel healthy and well, and that is way more important to me than 
putting some yummy food in my face for 10 or 15 seconds, right, before I swallow it and I'm not even tasting it anymore. So I kind of focus on that intention throughout this time of year, but then I really get clear about that every time I'm about to walk into a party or an event, and that really keeps my eye on the prize. It keeps my eye on the ball. It keeps me oriented. It's constantly getting all aspects of my conscious consciousness, the the forward conscious parts and the unconscious or subconscious parts that can tend to undermine my behavior. It keeps all of them oriented towards what the real goal is here and puts me in a strengthened position so that those unconscious and subconscious parts that do sometimes undermine my behavior and make unhealthy choices or push me into unhealthy choices, it really it empowers me to manage those much more effectively. So set a clear intention for yourself. Really get clear on your goals, your priorities, whether it's you know not rotting away in front of your kids or just not putting on weight or just not being exhausted and wanting to do the carbohydrate nap you know, at a party with 15 other people right after the food is done. Second tip, which is a great one, works extraordinarily well, is to eat something before you leave the house. Now, this gets a little bit trickier if you're the one actually preparing the meal, if you're hosting the party or the Thanksgiving dinner or whatever that is, because people are probably going to think it's queer that you're standing in the kitchen, you know, eating something right before the big dinner meal. But particularly if you focus on protein and leafy vegetables like uh, kale or lettuce or um, endive or, you know, not endive, um, oh gosh, I can't remember what it's called. Anyway, you guys get what I'm talking about, dark green leafy vegetables. The reason those are better is despite the fact that you do chew those before you swallow them, they're, they expand more than a lot of other foods. You know, it's not a solid lump. It's something that takes up space in your stomach and in your digestive tract, which gives you that feeling of fullness and inhibits your desire to eat more. It discourages you versus versus just um, you know orienting yourself mentally away from putting more food in yourself. That feeling of fullness will actually discourage you actively from putting more food in your face, as does a heavier protein. So this is a good thing to do, uh, particularly before you head out to a holiday party or to a Thanksgiving dinner. Particularly if you're like a lot of people and you're doing a series of Thanksgiving dinners, you know, you're going from going to two or three different houses throughout the day. If you start your day off with this, you're going to end in really fine form because you're probably going to have a little bit to nibble on at each party and you'll just stay a little bit full throughout the whole day and you'll really be discouraged from eating additional foods. A third tip, which doesn't work for the entire audience, obviously, if uh, you have a friend with diabetes who's referred you to this particular episode of the podcast and you're not a diabetic, or if you're a type 2 diabetic who's not using insulin, this is not a great tip or not a useful tip, but if you are insulin dependent, leave your insulin in the car. I mean, unless it's sitting in the hot baking sun, right? I mean, be sensible about it. But if you leave your insulin somewhere where you don't have immediate access to it, it's another level of discouragement towards eating carbohydrates because you can't just, you know, pump a little bit more in with your insulin pump. You can't just, uh, you know, tuck into the bathroom and inject a little bit more. You got to go out of your way to go out to your vehicle to get the insulin. So it's one small hurdle that can just give you a little bit extra encouragement to prevent you from eating in particular carbohydrates. Now, I've got three or four here when it comes to the actual 
food process, you know, approaching the table, get dealing with the food, interacting with it. The first thing you can do is pick the smallest plate that's available. Now, not every holiday party is going to have a variety of plates. Not every Thanksgiving dinner is going to offer you a variety of plate sizes, but oftentimes they do. And if you choose an hors d'oeuvre plate versus a giant meal plate, you've just got less. I mean, I've, I've been working with this kind of focus on food, you guys, for 20 years, at least, probably longer than that. I mean, I probably dealt with it, but not as committedly prior to my real turnaround and my diabetes management. But for at least 20 years, I've been trying to find different ways to work with myself around food, particularly at parties. And I, I, it's, it is baffling. It is mind boggling. If you have a large plate, even going into it with a clear intention about not filling it with food, you'll fill it with food. <laughs> you know, it's like, sometimes I find myself, I'm like, I'm just taking a little tiny, we often have potlucks at my daughter's school. And so I'll take a little spoonful of that and a very small spoonful of that. And still, by the time I got to the end of the table, the plate is still full. You know, it's just not nine big scoops of stuffing and, uh, you know, two bread rolls and four ounces of turkey. It's just a bunch of little piles of things. So it's just something about our consciousness as our, our psychology as humans. We seem to want to fill up all that empty space. So pick yourself a small hors d'oeuvre plate. And you fill it once. This is the important thing. This is one that can be a little bit tricky, but there's another part of this to talk about in a minute. Just fill the plate once. Don't go back over and over again and keep refilling your plate. Pick the smallest plate, fill it once, and then eat it. And when you're done eating it, throw it away. Or if you're somebody who needs to have something in your hand all the time, keep the plate in your hand, you know, but if you throw that plate away, you're a lot less likely to go back and refill it with something else. Now, there are a couple other things that also play into this. One is just staying the hell away from the table. This is harder if you're at a family Thanksgiving dinner and the food is on the table in front of you. Obviously, a buffet is no problem, but if the food is being served on the table, it can be harder to keep things out from right in front of you. But if something is there and it's causing you distress or the the desire to want to eat, just ask somebody to, you know, pass it down the table and put it in front of, you know, another open space so it's not sitting right in front of you. Particularly with family, they should be understanding of this. I know they they aren't always, but it's typically a little easier to do that kind of stuff at a family gathering versus a business dinner because your your colleagues and your coworkers aren't going to necessarily understand what you're up to the way that your family does. But just stay away from the table. This is the this is a powerful one when you're at dinner parties like for work and stuff because usually there's a buffet table or a snack table on one side of the room. Just stay on the other side of the room. Also drinking lots of water will also keep your stomach filled in the same way that the the vegetables and the protein will and eat slowly. The eating slowly is one that comes up a lot when you're researching um, different kinds of eating methodologies or interventions for overeating or behavioral eating programs. It's because uh, I've noticed a lot of them will say, try and eat maybe a third of what's on your plate and then try and take a five-minute break. Even if you're having dinner with your family, eat a third and then just stop eating for about five minutes and just have conversation with your family. The reason this one is so potentially powerful is because it takes a little bit of time 
for the food to get into your stomach and then for the stomach and the small and the first part of the small intestine to trigger your brain and say, hey, we're full. Don't put anything else in here. So if you give your body, your physiology, a few minutes to catch up to the rate at which you're eating, you'll get those, hey, we're full. We don't want any more food in here signals, and you'll be a lot less likely to eat more. So this is why eating slowly or taking a little break can be really beneficial at this point. Now, I've got one more thing along these lines. I actually learned this from a friend eh, probably about 20 years ago who was in Alcoholics Anonymous, and he was also an executive in the entertainment industry. There were constantly um, social gatherings all year round, not just around the holidays, which really centered around drinking. You know, everybody always had a glass of wine or champagne or a beer in their hand, something along those lines. And you guys may have seen this in your life. If everybody in the room is drinking and you're not, or there's somebody who's not, people get a little uncomfortable about that. It's almost like somebody choosing not to drink implies that, you know, you're an alcoholic or a lush or something. And people just get weird if you're the only one in the room not eating or the only one room not drinking. So he he tried for a period of time after he first got sober to just walk around with a Diet Coke or to walk around with a glass of water or something like that. And people were constantly giving him a hard time about it. not not harassing him, but like, hey, can I get you a drink? Or, hey, can I get you a drink? No, thanks. I'm just fine. And they go get him a drink anyway. And it, it became such a, a sideshow all this conversation, he decided that for him, it was just easier to just stand there with a beer in his hand. Uh, I think in the beginning, when he was still kind of working on maintaining his sobriety, he said he'd like go pour the beer out in the bathroom and fill the, the beer with the beer glass with water. So it looked like there was something in there, but it wasn't actually beer. Um, this, uh, this can be a reality for people with um, challenges with eating. In the same way, that that uh, that kind of addictive, compulsive, if it's on my plate, it's going to end up in my mouth kind of a pattern. So the only recourse here, if you're at a holiday party, you know you don't want to be eating a lot, but you also don't want a lot of attention on yourself or people are giving you a hard time about not eating anything, You know, get yourself a plate, an hors d'oeuvre plate, and put some stuff on it that you don't like, that you don't want to eat. I've got a couple friends. I love them anyway, but for some strange reason, they don't like mushrooms, so you know, if you're like that, get yourself some orders that have mushrooms in it and put it on your plate so you're disinclined to eat it. So this is not going to come up in every context where you're going to get social pressure for not eating or not drinking. But if that if that happens to be the case, you know, just use a decoy, I guess, is the short version on that one. Another good one is the buddy system, particularly, you know, again, and every family is different. There are families certainly where there's peer pressure if you're not eating or drinking, but typically your family is going to be, especially if you are somebody living with diabetes, your family is going to stand more in support of you not eating excessive amounts or eating things that are bad for you. Unless, of course, you've got somebody else in your family who also has diabetes and is not taking care of themselves, they will probably be highly uncomfortable with you taking care of yourself. So there might be a little pressure there. But um, usually with a family, this was easier, but for holiday parties, it's good to have a buddy system, just like it is when you're starting a new workout routine or something like that. Have somebody there who's got your back and knows what you're up to. People like to help, and I've never lived in a culture outside the United States, so it's hard for me to comment on other cultures, but at least in the United States, we tend to confuse asking for support 
with asking somebody else to do it for us. We don't, we're hesitant to ask for help. We're hesitant to ask for support for whatever reason. We don't seem to like to do that, but it's an easy thing to do. And people like to help. And frankly, even people who are not living with diabetes, even people who do not have compulsive behaviors or challenges around eating or emotional or comfort eating will like to have somebody else at the party who, you know, you can just like promise each other you're going to watch each other, you know, spy on each other. And if either of you catches the other one eating something or drinking something they shouldn't, that you're going to give them a load of crap about it because that little bit of pressure and just knowing somebody else is watching you can go a long way towards helping you avoid eating stuff. So don't hesitate to find a good friend or a coworker and ask them to back you up and promise to do the same for them. Now, there are two others, both of which I've talked before with you guys about. The first one is one of the ones I found to be most powerful for myself, and it's just to remind myself whenever I'm facing a craving or facing a food I want to eat that I know I'm going to pay a price for, whatever that price is, however big or small, I just stop and I ask myself, do I want this flavor in my mouth for 10 seconds, 30 seconds, two minutes, whatever, however long that is. Do I want that feeling of heaviness and comfort in my stomach more than I want my vision? More than I want to not rot away in front of my kids one body part at a time over the course of many years? Whatever that is for you, like whatever your pressure point is or your motivation point you know, fill in the blank. Do I really want this in my mouth more than I want? Fill in the blank for yourself. And it's not always easy to trigger that as you're reaching for something, but I think most people are pretty good at that. And particularly if you practice it, it will become an automatic reflex for you by the end of a holiday season. I mean, if you start that, you know, Thanksgiving day, just start practicing it. You might have a couple missteps with it. You might, you know, eat a couple times something that you wouldn't have chosen to or wouldn't have wanted to otherwise. But by the time you get to the end of the holiday season, it will be an ingrained habit for you and it will serve you really well throughout the year and then into the next holiday season. So do I really want this thing in my mouth more than I want fill in your blank? Now, the last one really has to do with unconscious eating. And again, I think that that's a risk this time of year. There's food everywhere. Everybody around you is eating. Um... You know, again, it's a hard time of year for a lot of people. So there, there are parts of our consciousness that want, want the treats and want the rewards and want the comfort and want to be like everybody else and, you know, want holiday presents in the form of a brownie or a glass of champagne or whatever it is. So I have found for me over the years in particular, unconscious behaviors have always been a big struggle for me. I remember for years talking to one of my coaches saying like, you know, I feel like I feel like I I almost go into a blackout and then before I know it, you know, I kind of come to and I've been I've got food in my mouth, like I'm eating. And that was a legitimate thing for me for a very long time. And it's not as easy a thing to work with as some of the other kinds of mental and emotional patterns and behaviors that we run across, particularly if you feel like, you know, some part of your brain is kind of flipping the breaker off so they can start doing what it wants to. And then once you're already doing it, it flips the breaker back on that, that can be a struggle. So one thing I found 
that works for me perfectly in this regard is to always take gum with me. And as soon as I'm done with that little plate of food and I throw the plate away, I put gum in my mouth and I just start chewing. So there are not too many people out there who are so desperate, consciously or unconsciously, for having a brownie or some apple crumble or whatever it is. Is it apple crumble? I think apple crisp, I think is what I was thinking of. <laughs> it goes to show you how, how often I eat sweets, right? Um, I, there are very few people who are so desperate to have that stuff in their mouth that they're going to risk swallowing their gum with it or having their gum filled with brownie goo for the next 20 minutes. So in order to interrupt the gum chewing process, in order to put a dessert in your mouth, you have to consciously you know, serve yourself the dessert and you have to consciously reach in your mouth and take the gum out and figure out what to do with it and then put the food in your mouth and chew and swallow and then, you know, put the gum back in or get another piece of gum, whatever. So it's it's a really good uh, armament against unconscious eating because it just forces you to be present with what you're doing and it prevents you from doing that unconsciously. At least this one works like um, gangbusters for me. So you got a lot of resources there. In any one of these, you can probably go online and find a few more tips and tools about. You can go find a little bit more information about how to set intentions, different ways that people do that. Um, so we've got setting an intention, making sure that you eat before you leave, particularly you know expansive green vegetables, leafy vegetables, and proteins that will give you that sense of fullness and weight, leaving your insulin in the car, using the smallest plate, only filling it once, eating slowly, and then throwing the plate out, making sure you're drinking lots of water, staying away from the table, using the buddy system. If you're in a work context or some other context where you might run into peer pressure about not eating when everybody else is, you know, using a plate, keeping a plate in your hand with uh you know, some food on it that you're less inclined to want to eat. Remembering to check in with yourself before you put anything in your mouth. Do I really want this in my mouth more than I want? Fill in the blank. And then chewing gum. Chewing gum is the newest addition for me. I've just picked this one up in the last year. I don't even remember how I came across the idea. In all sincerity, I can't remember if it was something I came up with or if I stumbled across it, you know, on a tweet or a Facebook post or something. But um, I've been working with it for the last couple of weeks and um, at night because I often struggle with, particularly after my workout, I want to eat something. So as we go into this um, holiday weekend here, at least again, Americans around the world, I know not all Americans listening are in the United States, but you know this is a special time of year here. It starts off the holiday season and it starts to focus on family. Even if it's a tough time of year for you, it's still an opportunity to start to turn your attention towards all the blessings that you have in your life. And I'm not trying to moralize or lecture or tell you that you shouldn't be sad or disappointed in your family situation if you are. But for me, whenever I'm feeling down or having a hard time or get, even getting frustrated with things like my computer not working the way it's supposed to, one of the, one of the most powerful things I've found I can do for myself is just to try and put things in perspective. So Again, one that I, I use often for myself is, you know, 50% of the people on the planet don't have clean drinking water. <laughs> you know, they 
they don't have a sewage system. So I've really, all things considered, I've got things pretty good here. So as you're moving into this weekend, not only do I hope that you take good care of yourself physically and eat in such a way that you feel healthy and have energy and don't regret it down the line, you don't add fat and insulin resistance to your life. I I hope that it's a time of peace and gratitude for you, a time when you can really reflect on all the amazing things that you do contribute in the world, your work and what a good friend you are, what a good parent or kid, you know, the um, contributions you make through service. Just the fact that you step up for yourself and really own and manage your diabetes. I mean, if you're listening to this, even if you're not taking action on the things that we talk about every week here, just the fact that you're listening shows dedication and devotion to yourself and that you're really serious about trying to live the best life that you can. And that means a lot. That has an impact on people around you that you're probably not even aware of. So going into this holiday weekend, I am immensely grateful for you, for the listeners, um, for the constant nice things that you email to me. I'm really excited about this journey together. So going into uh, Thanksgiving here in a couple days, I will be thinking about you guys and grateful for you. And we'll have another podcast for you coming up this weekend. In the meantime, go out there, watch out for stuffing and gravy, and thrive. All right, everybody, I hope that was helpful for you. Hope you wrote a few things down there that they serve you well through the coming weekend and the coming weeks. You can listen to us on SoundCloud, Stitcher, iTunes. And please subscribe. You can just Google Thriving Diabetics iTunes or check any of my social media for the link. And please think, who do you know who's living with diabetes who needs support? Please make sure you tell them about the podcast, share it with them too. Go out there, have a gorgeous, gorgeous weekend. I hope none of you guys are working on uh, Black Friday. Or shopping on Black Friday for that matter. And we'll talk to you again this weekend with another podcast. In the meantime, go out there and live free from diabetes. Be well.